before we start the show, I have to tell you something. All right, let's hear it. I almost died last weekend, and I am not exaggerating this time. Oh my god, Sarah. <laughs> I got stung by a wasp. Mm -hmm. I have never been allergic to wasps in my life. Mm -hmm. That day I was. Holy shit. Yeah. So I broke out like in hives everywhere. And then not only that, my mom, who was a registered RN, retired. She was like, to go to the urgent care because I come in after I got stung and I start getting itchy. You mean she came out of retirement for this? Yes, out of retirement <laughs> to save my she life. She didn't look at you and go, I'm sorry, I wish I could have been no, retired. No, honestly, I'm surprised she didn't do that. <laughs> I would like to help you. So, Just wondering about my compensation. <laughs> What's your insurance? What's your policy like? Sorry, I don't take United Healthcare. So <laughs> I wish I could help. So she, she, I took, I took some Benadryl and mm. I'm just, I'm like trying to like, just chill. Yeah. And I'm like, it's going to kick in. It's going to be fine. And I'm getting itchier and itchier. Mm. And I'm like turning into a beat. Mm. She's like, we need to go to the urgent care. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mom, wait it out. Just wait. Is it going to be right. fine? Cause that's smart. And she's like, no, mm. get in the car. <laughs> Long story short, I'm halfway there. Mm -hmm. I can't breathe. She's doing 90 oh, across town. <sighs> and my like chest is closing. I'm, like, I'm having a hard time breathing <laughs> when you're telling the story. <laughs> my empathy. I'm such an empath. I'm so empathetic. I'm such a good person. I'm glad we can make this about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so literally. <laughs> there's a way I'll do it. Now, I know you've never met my mom, but she is truly one of the kindest people in the entire world. Mm. She pulls up to the emergency room, automatic doors, parks. <laughs> yeah, like. And like starts. Like she's like she's William Shatner <laughs> or something, right? Like in like, I don't even know where that came from. I get out. I'm making a beeline into the emergency room because mm. I'm like starting to yeah. panic at this point. Because you can see yes. the tunnel. yes. And uh, she, I get. You can see the hands of your ancestors reaching across the void. <laughs> it is <to> time. <laughs> Come, Sarah. We've been waiting. <laughs> Everything the light touches. No, that's something else. <laughs> so, run in while well, you know as fast as I could. Sit down at the desk, and I'm like, I got stung by a wasp, having trouble breathing. And the woman goes, "What's your name and date of birth?" <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. My mom. Yeah, no, I know. It's exactly what I thought. My mom, the kindest human in the world. She can't breathe. <laughs> she needs to see someone immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so out the team comes, get me back. And these four people descend on me like crows on a carcass. Mm -hmm. Just yep. IVs are going in. Adrenaline's going in. Steroids are going in. More Benadryl. I start shaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're hearing things like stat, right? Crash cart. And this yeah. adrenaline is coursing mm -hmm. through me. And I already have an anxiety disorder, okay? So I am... <laughs> Let's talk about the natural. I'm already anxiety. up here it's at all times. <laughs> now, you've been in fight flight since this morning's coffee. <laughs> so anyway, I'm here now by the grace of the Aurora 
healthcare medical system and my mom driving 90 mm. miles across Manitowoc. So, yeah. but yeah, it's a, uh, could have been the last episode. Could have been, we might've never made it through the practices. I would have kept going. <laughs> you son of a bitch. What told a story about how you would have wanted us to continue. <laughs> Sell As a matter of fact, I think her estate would want several books for all of the people who attend the funeral. At a 10% discount, yes. Listen, I would come to speak at that. And in the middle of it, I would talk about mindfulness parts. What part of Sarah? <laughs> and then towards the end, I would just sort of say, and you can find all of that in my book. <laughs> found wherever Finer books are sold right there over your casket. He's hawking books. I would come back to life just to laugh at that singular moment. Oh, no. God damn it. You're right. You would have just kept going. You probably would have taken like a week off. Yeah, soldiered on. Would have had to. I have a book deal. Oh, <laughs> welcome back to Not Your Mama's Therapy. <laughs> As a host. On the positive side, I'm still alive. However, we have some rather sad news. Because we took a week off, my book has dropped down a few notches in the Amazon sales list. Oh, and Sarah's dead. <laughs> I have never been so succinctly humbled. <laughs> Now I'm your host, Sarah. <laughs> and I'm here with Blair, licensed marriage and family therapist, and son of a bitch, Blair Torrent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been called worse, but thank you. Let's just make sure for this episode you have your EpiPen with you. I had to close the windows before we started because we can't risk it. Oh, we, I'm very excited today because we get to talk about practice for choosing. And I can That's now right. say you would choose yourself every time. Again, I wouldn't, wouldn't be something I would want to. I wouldn't choose it. It had chosen me or rather the wasp had chosen you. You're 100% right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whew. Gotta get on track here. Choosing one of my favorite practices and I say that every week, but I really do like this one because it's literally the physical effort of all the other practices put together. I think maybe before I go into all the things I think about it, I'll let you kind of summarize it for us and what it means. Choosing, you know, it's, it's really the heart and the soul of the practice with respect to love, right? You would think that this being sort of a couple's book and couple's practice for couples that that we would have found this a little bit earlier, but you know, it sort of lands sort of in the middle here. And it, it it's really like how we love each other. 
it's it's the way and it's the way in which we need to feel loved and need to feel cared about i sort of stumbled upon this notion of choosing i sort of cobbled it together i've been reading sue johnson's book on emotionally focused therapy and she loosely sort of talked about we need to feel chosen we need to feel picked we need to know that our partner is reaching and stretching in our direction through kindness and, and acts of benevolence years ago i was doing happened to be doing a number of weddings right? Both clients and friends alike, for whatever reason, decided that this guy was the person that they wanted to, you know, hitch him on the, on the big day. I'm still not hundred percent sure about that one. So people kind of want a little sizzle before the stake, sure. right? They want to hear some nuggets of profundity, some pearls of wisdom about love and connection and all of that before you get to the vows. And so I was forced to kind of come up with something. And so I'm thinking about Sue, Sue Johnson's work and the stuff that I've been studying. And I was thinking about, you know, what are we doing on this day of getting married or connecting in this way? And we're choosing each other. Sure. Okay. And, but, you know, kind of done, I'm like, shouldn't we be choosing each other like every day, all of the time? Why should it just be relegated to this big party, expensive party that we're having for other people this day with the pretty dress and the fancy suit that, that choosing for me should really happen in the small moments of life. It should happen in the everyday and in the mundane. And so with these articles or with these, these, you know, sermons, I guess you'd say I was writing, I, I penned an article for uh, elephant journal and it was on this very thing. And in it, I cited the movie, The Breakup, if you're familiar with it, with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. And the writing in it's pretty great, especially with respect to the, 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 the arguments. And in it, the scene that I sort of highlight in the article is where he turns to her and he's like, fine, fine, fine. I'll do the fucking dishes. And she says, Gary, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Mm. And he says, well, I'm never going to want to do the dishes. And in that moment, what he's telling her, from my perspective is I'm never going to choose you. I'm always going to choose me. That those little moments, mm. I'm going to keep them for myself. And I'm, I'm not going to pick and love and choose you perhaps in the way that you need to be chosen. And you know, the, the, the idea of the, that mundane task of doing the dishes, it, it sort of smacks of that everyday thing mm. where we should be sending the message through words and through deeds, these acts of kindnesses. I'd say it's a, it's a, it's a cup of coffee made just the way she likes it. It's a bed made, not because you like it, but because mm. you know, he likes it. It's sending the message that I was thinking of you when you're not here. And I often like to throw the, the, the Simon Sinek quote that I use in the book out. And that's where he said, look, she didn't know she loved you because you gave her flowers on Valentine's day and her birthday. She knew she loved you because when you woke up that morning, you didn't look at your phone first. You gave her a kiss. Mm. When you got up to go to the fridge and get yourself a drink, you brought her back a drink as well. She didn't even ask. And when you both came home from work, she having had a terrible day, you having had an amazing day, you didn't say anything about your amazing day. You just sat and listened to her about her terrible day. And it wasn't any one thing. It was a conglomeration of many things that made her know mm -hmm. that she loved you. And so this is what choosing is. And, um, yeah. Any questions at this point? Yeah, I guess I, I'm curious when you're when you're working with couples and they're you know they're sitting there. Do you find that couples are like, well, I don't mm -hmm. I don't know how to choose them. Like, what do you mean choose well, them? What do I? First of all, I say, what, how, what should how, I do? Well, you know, like how do you guide say, they that? Say, I don't know how. They go, oh, you mean love languages? And I'll go, sure, if you must. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if we have to, then yeah, <laughs> fucking love languages. Uh, that's only because. <laughs> Because I wish I'd written the book. Uh, um, it is uh, pretty good. Yeah. So um, most people come through the door and they have had, they have read the book, right? 
um, a lot of people have read the book and to a person, they will say to me things like, well, I think I'm a two, four and she's a one, mm. three. I think we should get mm. that book back out. And to me, it sort of speaks of like this sort of transactional nature mm-hmm. of that idea of love languages. It's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it because I know you like it. Um, so it's less about like people, people kind of grok early what that means and that they'll attribute it to love languages, but there's a differential for me. There's a, there's, there's something different about choosing and, um, love languages. Yes. And within choosing, we could, we could say for, for, um, convenience sake, yeah, the, you know, acts of choosing physical affection, words of affirmation, those are all categories that are probably important to a lot of different people. And so that's a common language we can use, but if we're really talking about, choosing each other, we have to also understand that, um, for me, choosing each other and the acts of choosing, they're attached to something more. Mm-hmm. Sue Johnson in her book, again, I said, hold me tight. She said that the clinicians and the therapists who serve them are really only willing to go to the waterline on this thing mm-hmm. that we sort of stay on the surface of these, uh, these, these, uh, connective pieces of, Oh, I like physical affection. Okay. Sure. I like words about, I like when you say nice things or give me a little presence, but why? Why do you like, what about that very thing is so connective for you? Mm-hmm. And for me, in the work that I've done and the thing that I've ferreted out with my couples in the book is these, these, these love languages are attached to our core wounds, mm-hmm. right? And so we come through the gates of life, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. as little babies, you see your whole little baby that's looking up at you and its eyes are kind of darting around back and forth. And I say those babies are asking questions and those mm-hmm. babies become children, become adults, and we continue to ask these questions questions are, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I enough? Do I matter? Those four core questions. And if someone can pick up a fifth one, I'm happy to entertain it. But when we come through the gates of life, we're asking those questions to our, to our parents, to our families, to our extended families and our communities. So as we grow through the formative years of our lives, and if one or more of those questions is not answered in the affirmative, we get a split off aspect known as the wounded child. Mm. And so that split off aspect goes out into the world looking for the thing it didn't get. And you find it typically being recapitulated in your romantic life. And that's why Harville Hendricks said, you know, we are inexplicably drawn into the arms of a romantic partner who will, by their very nature, recreate our childhood wounding. He says, but for a very good reason, so that we might have a reparative experience. Mm -hmm. And so for this reason, and it's a big one your love languages become less transactional and, and, and kind of hit us at mm-hmm. depth in the heart space mm-hmm. Yeah, when we see them like mm-hmm. that. I'm not doing this because just because it makes you feel good. I'm doing this because it also makes you feel seen and understood. Right. No, no. You hit on something that for me, when I explored this practice, I realized there were definitely ways that I need to better choose Corey. What mm-hmm. I also realized was that he was in many ways, choosing me. And I wasn't realizing that's what it was. Mm. For example, when, you know, he makes dinner or he cleans the Mm -hmm. shower or he, you know, does the laundry because I'm working a 12 hour day or whatever, Mm -hmm. all of those things, Mm -hmm. I think I was sort of putting in that category of, well, those are chores that have to get done. Mm -hmm what I realized was that he was putting them in the category of these are chores I'm doing. So Sarah doesn't have to, so that when Mm -hmm. she does have time away from work, we can spend it together and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so he was choosing to do those things, not because they needed to be done necessarily, but also because 
it lifted something off of me. And that realization paired with something else you taught me, which was gratitude practice, has really helped us. And I'll let you talk a little bit about gratitude practice because you can describe it much better than I can. We, we hear a lot about gratitude practice, right? And sort of been around enough that people are like, oh, yeah, no, I, we kind of know what that is. And for me and the people that I work with, I ask them to go a little bit deeper with it, meaning it cannot be just this list of shit that you say out loud or to yourself, like, I'm thankful for my home and I'm thankful for my partner. I'm thankful for my dog. And it just doesn't, you know, there's no feeling mm-hmm. in it. When we do gratitude practice in my, with my couples in my own life, and, and I explain it in the book, is that you have to sit with the thought of that person, of that thing someone did for you until you feel it sort of shift your mood and how you feel, mm-hmm. right? And so you sort of steep yourself in the warm feelings of that. Mm-hmm. And so you actually feel a sense of gratitude. You don't mm-hmm. just list it off as something I'm mm-hmm. grateful for. There's no, there's mm-hmm. nothing in that. The needle's not going to move for you in any particular direction if it's just a laundry list. Exactly. And so when I took that and I paired it with examining the choosing aspects of our relationship, it really helped me start to actually, like you said, start to like kind of sit in that feeling and be like, you know what? I actually am really grateful that I didn't have to stop what I was doing and take the dogs up, that he came up from downstairs and took the dogs out when I asked or because he knew it's time for it or whatever. And so I think I love not just choosing and acknowledging those things that your partner or you do for your partner, but also being grateful for it because And I think I told you this at one point in time, and I alluded to it earlier, is that it's so easy to just look at it as, well, these chores got to get done, dude. Why don't I got to thank you for them? (laughs) You know, like the the dishes got to get loaded. I don't understand that one. Like, why should I have to say thank you? Well, how fucking hard is it for you to say thank you? And the bang you get for your buck out of a thank you, because what you're doing is you're acknowledging them now. So if someone won't thank another person, what part of you has come up, come up around this and what's the story you're telling about your partner or your relationship mm-hmm. that is prohibiting you from feeling that mm-hmm. open access to heart centeredness that would allow you to go, you know, I'm going to do this for this person, or I'm going to say thank you because I notice how hard they've worked or the thing that they did. Yeah. And it all, for me at least goes back to when I was growing up, chores were expected. The kids weren't thanked for picking Mm -hmm. stones in the field. We weren't Mm -hmm. thanked for doing stuff. It was, well, you're old enough now to do it. So do it. Picking stones. Oh yeah. Yeah. Welcome to farm life. Uh, You pick the stones so that when the tractor's running through the field, it doesn't get caught in the machinery. So you literally go out, we would put a trailer on the back of a lawnmower. Oh yeah. On the back of a lawnmower, you'd wheel out and us kids would pick stones out of the field for hours. What you doing out there? Picking stones. Picking stones. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta make sure we don't wreck the baler. (laughs) And what happened if you missed a stone? Listen, you know, Stanley Eugene, you kick my ass. You know what I mean? Like... No, no, no. He wouldn't kick our asses. But, you know, like it was a thing. You know, we were expected to be up early on Saturday mornings and getting stuff done. And obviously mistakes were made and and that was understood to a degree. But it wasn't it really wasn't something that was like 
thank you so much for going out there and picking stones all day. You kind of gave me that mm-hmm. kick in the ass that I needed to be like, no, that is kind of, yeah, you're right. That's fucked up. When you say, I don't get that. I'm like, damn, you're right. That is, yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't subscribe to like a saccharine sweet. Oh, you know, we must thank our, you know, around every corner. But if it, if it lands on, if you notice something, if, if you're drinking a cup of coffee that you didn't make, you probably should be like, hey, thanks for the coffee. If you're part, if you go upstairs and the bed's made and you didn't make it, you should probably be like, you know, hey, that's awesome. Thank you so much for making the bed. Or, you know, you took the dogs out in the middle of the night when totally. you know, one of them was throwing up or had diarrhea and you didn't wake me up. And that's amazing. Thank totally. You for that. Totally. A little acknowledgement goes a long way. And I think what it does is it, it weaves some fibers. Yeah, within exactly. The, the, the culture of your of your relationship that is a softer fiber, right? It's not so like we, we don't thank each other for just every little thing. I'm not saying that i'm just saying that Mm -hmm. like a few of those dappled in and thrown around a little bit goes a long way to letting someone know i see you i see your effort and it matters to me yeah i see that you chose me i see that you chose us Mm -hmm. you you know Mm -hmm. and i i know i've told you this before for for me it's for example Corey has some severe anxiety around going to the dentist and so when we move Mm -hmm. to a new location I always go to the dentist first. I call them. I see them. I make sure that they are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I do the whole thing because I want to make sure that I'm sending him to a safe place. And he knows that. Yeah. Because I I never want him to be in that position where he's scared again. I encourage people to think of choosing outside of just chores, outside of just flowers. Mm. It's, it's, it's really everything. It's going to the dentist and making sure that they're going to do a good job and treat someone with compassion. It's making sure if you bring somebody to, mm-hmm. you know, a, a friend's house that they don't know that they that they're your partner and you're with them. It's all these different things of creating a space of gratitude, but in many ways, at least the way I've experienced it too, is also creating a place of safety. Right. That's so important. What you're saying is so important. Yeah. Because those core questions that I ask, am I loved, am I safe, am I enough, and do I matter? Again, when you don't get one of those or a few of them answered in the affirmative, then there's a core wound. And you're exercising that and finding it within your relationship for mm-hmm. a reason. Again, there can be repair. And so I get a lot of people saying things like, well, that's your work. Mm-hmm. Right? There's almost like this caustic nature to relationship these days. Well, that's your work to do with your therapist, not me. Mm-hmm. And look. To some degree, I understand what people are saying. Like, you shouldn't do all of your work with your partner all the time. But I do think it's part of what we're signing up for. Part of what we're signing up for Mm -hmm. is to take care of each other. I said to a couple just yesterday, I said, why the fuck did you two get married? And they both kind of like, you know, I said it that way for for effect. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I go, well, you got all weird. You got the government involved and you decided to make a person and, and build this life. What, just so you can be shitty to each other for now until one of you dies? Is that the plan? And they kind of looked at each other. Right. And I said, I don't know why this is hard. You're supposed to be there for one mm. another. You're supposed to stand in there. Sometimes you're supposed to be the catcher and the and the backstop mm-hmm. for their shit. Mm-hmm. And I put a I put a post up on Instagram this morning where I talked about my wife's trauma and, you know, her question is, am I safe? She wasn't safe because of her childhood Mm -hmm. trauma. And in the real, I said, look, you know, this is inconvenient. It's hard if you're with somebody who has significant childhood trauma, but it's part Mm -hmm. of the gig. It's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's hard. And yes, sometimes it's inconvenient, but there's nothing more gratifying Mm -hmm. if you allow it to land on you and allow it to land in your heart 
you've been chosen by this person to do this work with them, to be present for this experience, mm-hmm. that, that they think you're safe enough, that they trust you enough. Man, that's gratifying. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And I said, this woman write in and say, you know, she was in tears as she wrote in. She said, you know, I'm just in tears at the fact that there's someone out there doing this for someone because it's never been done for me. Mm-hmm. My partner keeps looking at me like I'm a pain in the ass. Ugh. Yeah. And so choosing our partner is also not just a cup of coffee or a bed made or a dog walked. It's, it's presence. Mm-hmm. It's presence, even though that's not right. your work, it's theirs. You're there bearing witness. Yep. That, that resonates with me and, and for a couple reasons, but one is also that, you know, I was with, I'm, I'm, I am with somebody who didn't even realize what he experienced qualified as trauma, you know? <laughs> And so mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. feel really grateful that I had the knowledge that I had from working with you so that when we were able to kind of really pull apart what he's experienced and that I could be there for him on that journey when he realized, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't make you weak to acknowledge that that's your trauma. And and I'm choosing mm-hmm. to be here with you as mm-hmm. we kind of figure that out and, and what that feels like and what happened to you when you were a little boy now translates to as an adult and all the little bristly things that you do sometimes, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's, I, I feel I'm at a place in my relationship and in my knowledge of the practices that I actually feel lucky that I get to share it with him. Yeah. Versus feeling resentful that I have to deal with the byproducts of a shitty person mm-hmm. when he was a kid. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and that dovetails on practice three, the narrative, True. right? That's a story you're telling to some degree. That's, that's a choose your own adventure scenario. You're like, you're stopping and going, look, I can choose. I look, we, we have the, the capability of building a particularly shitty narrative. Like this is a pain in the ass. This isn't going to work. Go do that someplace else. That's messy. I don't, it's inconvenient. It's hard. I don't want to do it. I have my own work, all of that to a large degree. Some of that can be true, but what you're saying is you built a story. At least I think this is what I'm hearing about this that said, I get to be here for him on this journey and, and I get to be present for all of his triumphs and his pain too. And to help him through that is actually really gratifying when I give myself a moment to feel into it. And Mm -hmm. so that brings me to the point I wanted to make, which is think about those two scenarios, right? those two roads, one of you, you chose this road, the road of compassion, empathy, and understanding. Think about what it breeds in a relationship when you're like, yeah, not my shit. Sorry. There is a sort of acidic nature to that. There is a coldness to that. Mm that, that I can't yeah. hide. And uh, it's, it's hard for me to watch. And I look at not everybody's mm-hmm. relationship has to look like mine. I learned that early on. Like I thought, well, of course you want this, yeah. this is amazing, but not everybody does. And so sometimes people choose that, that like, well, you do, we, we are siloed and we have these things between us, but this work is for you to do. Okay. I do. I have some judgments about that. <laughs> I think when push comes to shove, I'm wondering if I can trust you. Yeah. Yes. Because you've refused to kind of show up in that space when it's hard, when it's inconvenient. Yeah. And what is the point of you being my partner if your your partnership is selective? Why do we get married? Right. Right. That's the question I asked that couple. Why the fuck get married? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, no, I, I, I completely agree. And it, I, 
I think what you said about, I, I don't know that I can trust you is absolutely spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the difference between a friend and a best friend. <laughs> I know if I call my best friend, I can share literally anything with her, literally mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. But there are some friends I have that I would not share literally anything with. And so like, if you think, okay, you have your friend, you have your best friend, you have your spouse, your spouse is just your friend. That's an issue (laughs) for me, at least. Like I I look at Corey as my best friend because I can share everything with him without judgment. It may not always be pleasant, but I can share everything with him. It's not his job to always be pleasant. It's, you know, sometimes that work is, is a grind. And, Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes we yep, have to say it exactly. Stuff. But he, again, bringing it back to the practice, is choosing to give me that that safe space, that 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 acknowledgement that I matter, and not just selective pieces of me matter, but the whole of me matters, which means all my traumas and my stupid shit and my you know, et cetera. Et cetera. That's a great mm-hmm. point. Yeah, this is the one also where I bring up that silly idea of there being a love bank and that each act of choosing whatever it it might look like, whether it's a big thing or a little thing or a mundane thing or not so mundane thing, it, it sends a message and we Mm -hmm. kind of, we like to say we don't have ledgers and we aren't keeping score, but we are until we're not until we feel safe enough that I don't have to keep score anymore. This person just shows up for me. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. especially in the beginning of a relationship, you know, we're watching some part of us is always watching and kind of tallying. Oh, they showed up for me there. Oh, they thought of me there. They got me a drink. When I didn't even ask for one, I know he had an amazing day. He just sat and listened to my, my shitty day and didn't say anything about his awesome day. Mm -hmm. This person picks me. This person chooses me. These are all little, little coins that go in that bank. And sooner than later, when you've done that enough with someone, they trust you. And then, then all forms of intimacy. And I mean, intimacy in like the broadest sense of the word can be found between two people. I completely subscribed to the love bank idea because there was definitely a time when my love bank was not full, but you know, that's, I guess that's why people see you and you start to realize these things and you start to recognize the, that old idea of death by a thousand cuts, right? It's, it's the little things that really add up and that's for the good things and the bad things in my opinion. And so when you're able to build those really good things and fill your love bank, Mm-hmm. That at least for me, I physically feel, but I always physically feel my emotions. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, you you notice it. I notice it when I see Corey. I notice the feelings that I get because I we call it my love meter um, because it's full. It translates to he can ask me for things and I don't feel inconvenienced by them. It translates to a better sex life. It translates to a whole host of things that are just really good for your relationship. That's right. And that, that sense, that feeling, I, I, I get that with Ash as well. And I know she's reported that she feels the same. There's this closeness, this understanding that this person shows up for me and you know, that love bank or that meter is where it needs to be because Corey has done those things. He's, he's mm-hmm. shown you by word and by deed that you can count yep. on him. And I don't think there's a, a stronger sense that two people can give to one another than, I mean, cause look, the world's a fucking rough place anyway. And love is incredibly exposing, you know, and the, the idea that the, the person you love is the, often the most dangerous person in the world because you're so mm-hmm. vulnerable to them. And so sending that message through these, 
through these 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 acts of choosing that it does it makes the space between us a safer one there's a story i want to share with you because i think it's an it's not necessarily an act of choosing but it for me was so the other day Corey was at the grocery store and he knows how i feel about everything going on in the world with roe versus wade and all that and he's at the grocery store picking up stuff for dinner and he said i'm just gonna grab a pack of water and take it down to the mm-hmm. the, the pro-choice protesters and then i'll mm-hmm. be home and i realize it was not a choice that he made about me but it was a choice for a cause that is important to me. It's important to him. And he took the time out of his day. And that too was so important to me and made me feel so good. So I think for me, choosing, I know, well, but it, you know, sometimes choosing isn't just about the two people in the relationship. It's also, you know, Corey Mm -hmm. chose to help my mom. Corey chose to, Mm do a kindness for something that I believe so strongly in. Yeah. It's important to me because it's important. Exactly. To you. So mm-hmm. it can be external mm-hmm. things too, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that influence choices. So uh, let me ask you, I always ask you this after every practice, which is basically, I don't get it. I, I need a place to start. Where do I start Blair? How do I start choosing? Well, knowing what your partner, well, first of all, I ask people to like, all right, so here's the, we've unpacked at length sort of all the ideas around choosing and, and what it is. So we have a firm definition of what it is and why it's important. Mm-hmm. What do you feel is what I'd ask somebody. What do you feel when you think about choosing mm-hmm. your partner in this way? What comes up for you? Are you fast track? Yeah, I'm going to go buy some water and take it down to the protest. I'm going to make that bed. I want to, you know, I want to do some things that are actionable. I know what those love languages are. And so I'm going to do them. Or is it, is there something else Mm -hmm. there? People that come to see me and probably people who are reading my book, perhaps there has been a decided dearth of those reaching across the table and saying, I pick you. Mm -hmm. And so why, what's happened? What's the impediment? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have what I call a love embargo, Mm -hmm. right? This idea that I'll do better when you do better. And so there's been this standoff that's been happening Mm -hmm. for a while. And maybe we can't say who did what, when, that started the whole thing. Maybe we know exactly what it was. I don't know. Mm. I call it the love embargo in the book because I think it's sort of an apt term. You know, an embargo is usually thought of between two countries where they cut off, you know, trade, the goods and services. It's an apt term for couples as well who find themselves in sort of a an embargo on acts of choosing, acts of kindness, saying thank yous, all of that. And so we notice that it's there and say, yeah, we maybe we probably do have mm. an embargo. So I ask, what part of you shows up to this exercise of choosing your partner? Well, if it's a inner critic or if it's your inner defender, you're not going to have that functionality within that app, so to speak, as we like to say about the parts, right? Your your mm-hmm. defender part's not going to notice opportunities to choose your partner. It's only going to notice ways to create distance. And so if you're operating within your relationship in that part of yourself, it's going to be hard to see those options, those opportunities. You're going to forget to buy the flowers. You're going to not think of the protesters in the water. It's not going to be on your mind to care about it. You're not going to say thank you. All of those things. Now, the other thing is I say, say, what's the story that you tell about your partner? Well, I will when they do. If he would only, if he would just, you know, Mm. you know, I'll do that when they do that. And so if there's sort of a toxic narrative Mm -hmm. that's creating feelings in your body from a part of self, then that's also a place to start. Like, what if we shifted that and said, 
if I were to reauthor that narrative of they don't deserve that as an example, is that true? Mm -hmm. Is it fair? Is it empathetic? Is it understanding? When we run it through that, can we reauthor a new and different narrative? Can we start a conversation about the fact that I feel like we don't choose each other enough? We're not speaking those love language. We're not doing enough of those things that make the relationship sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you just have to figure that out. <laughs> well, right. And then so I have people write the love list exercises in the book. And if you've been together for a while, I'll say to you, you know, do you know what makes your partner feel loved and cared about? And if the answer is no, I'll say how the hell do you not know that? <laughs> right. Right. And if you know it and you're not speaking it or doing it, why the hell aren't you doing it or speaking mm-hmm. it? What, what's happening there? I would have you and Corey each do two lists of four or five things. Mm-hmm. First list is for Corey, four or five things that he knows that when, when he does these for Sarah, they make her feel loved and cared about. And then I have a make a list of four or five things for himself that when Sarah does these things, I feel loved and cared about. And I have you do a mirror image of those. Right. And then we cross reference and we see where we are. And, you know, people are often shocked in both directions, but it really does start up a really amazing conversation often about like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. No, I know. I really do. I really love that. Yeah. Really makes me feel cared about. Oh, that's awesome. Well, now I know. And so how didn't I not know that? Well, we just and we got busy, didn't talk about it, I guess, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe things got a little chippy for a while. And so we don't talk about those things, mm-hmm. but yeah. And then it gives us a list of, of things that we can do. Now, the other thing that I like to do is I like to find out what you're, what have you come here mm-hmm. to heal? That's a great question. Yeah. So if you've come here to heal, you know, if your question is, am I safe as an example, well, that gives you marching orders. It gives Corey marching orders on like, I'm going to show her that this is a place where she can land. She can fall apart. She can be loved for all the incantations that is Sarah. And I'm going to make this, this a safe place because, you know, very often you see the adult version of your partner standing in front of you. What you don't realize is there's a little girl or a little boy just around the corner mm-hmm. that you're actually speaking to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can start to see your partner for that, that aspect that's come here to heal something, man, the things that would populate that list of, of ways to choose them becomes really simple. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I, I'm i laughing to myself because I can only imagine if I told my husband from Michigan that I didn't feel safe, the kind of shit that would happen around this house. <laughs> Don't you already have a moat? <laughs> He'd be out there burying landmines. Like, listen, babe, not on my watch. You are going to feel safe no. at all times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> It's amazing, Corey, how you match those sandbags with the drapes. I'm like, no, I just want you to listen to me when I'm crying. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger yeah, drum seat. Exactly. <laughs> okay, calm down, Tombstone. I'm I'm physically yeah. safe, okay? Well, thank you so much for joining me today again for another episode. I am excited for next week. It's the final practice, personal responsibility, which is look out. Listen, uh, I will bring a whole host of experience to next week's episode because if there is anything I've mastered, it is personal responsibility. Is that right? What's that like for you being so good at this? Honestly, uh, embarrassing for you. But (laughs) (laughs) it truly is humiliating every week, some sort of indignity. (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) 
And Sarah schools me and the shit that um, I wrote. Actually, there on page thirty six, <laughs> you wrote. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So my buddy Brian does that. He does. He does. He he has like almost yeah. a photographic memory, and so it, it gives him an opportunity <laughs> to be a real dick. And and so he'll like quote from the book often oh to his God. wife. Like, I doesn't feel like an act of choosing. Like, Why are you choosing yourself? It's the story you're telling all day long. He loves it. I mean, he'll stop her and go, I'm not feeling remotely love safe. I don't feel like I matter. Or enough. And she's just rolling her eyes. Yeah, none of them. He'll say, Jess, you managed to hit all four. I need to step up my game. If there's anything I've learned from Brian, mm-hmm. it's that I need to step up the plate. I could do so Dude, much his, better. His mom, his mom came at him with something like she was having some issue with some friend of hers. And, you know, Brian said, well, you know, look, mom, I, I know you're frustrated, but I'm going to imagine that there's a little girl within your friend that just doesn't <laughs> feel like she matters. And she, his mom was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Where did you learn that? He says he told her he read my book. I know he didn't. He didn't tell her. He just... <laughs> He pawned that shit off as his own. Oh, 100. He plagiarized the hell out of your book. Right. And she was like, oh, my boy is so smart. Oh, Brian. (laughs) Yeah. And he's the manager of a restaurant in New York City. And you know he's just using the shit all on the staff, too. Oh, 100%. 100%. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please like and subscribe and leave a review on all your favorite podcast channels. Of course, you can follow us. NYM therapy on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can reach us on Gmail at not your mama's therapy at gmail.com. And of course, if you don't want to wait for the next episode to come out, just go ahead and pick up Blair's book, The Practice of Love, at all fine booksellers around the country and the world. And Sarah, you think the audiobook is the. Holy hell. Listen, <laughs> ladies, men, non binary friends. <laughs> it's still my favorite when you do that. <laughs> Let me just, let me just, uh, next week, Lindsay, put in a clip. I'm, I'm going to do everybody a favor. Put in a clip from the audiobook, okay, of Lear. Just, it doesn't have to be any longer than a paragraph. Unzip your pants. Just listen to this. It dawned on me that I was actually missing something. While Ash shopped and I sat there with my new friends, I was missing time with my girl. I had just started grad school and time together was limited. I had to admit. When she asked me to make a quick stop, I was less than enthused. But as I considered the situation, I decided to try and make the best of it. We were together after all, so why not get involved and make this time spent rather than time wasted? I jumped up and began looking around the store for things I thought might look good on her. I had no idea if any of my choices were even in the ballpark, but I was going to give it a try. When I knocked on her dressing room, she opened the door to see me standing there, smiling proudly with an armful of clothes. Needless to say, she was shocked. <laughs> Your audiobook oh, sales go up so fast. It's just <laughs> soaring. Yeah. That and scented candles. Oh my God, you need a practice of love candle. That's what we should do for every practice. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Okay. Yes. All right, guys. We got to go. You have room in your house for yes. like a candle room? Yes, 100%. Like. Countless yeah. rooms, countless rooms that I could just Let's do it. Let's put your mom to work. She's retired, right? Sarah, last time I heard she's looking for work. <laughs> Wrong. What I'm going to do for my mom is I'm going to get her your mm. audiobook 
for Christmas. Set it up for her. Mm. Light a few candles. Mm. Just close the door. Draw a bath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's going to be like, you're going to hear a vroom as her gas-powered vibration. (laughs) 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She brought that thing from the farm. (laughs) You could use that thing to pick stones. She plants bulbs with it. It's just... No, but seriously, pick up the audiobook. I had to audition for that shit. I told you. That. I know you did. Made me audition for it. Why? I don't know. They probably just wanted some. <laughs> yeah, you did. Listen, and if you buy the audiobook, you'll learn why very quickly that he booked it. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to read a bunch of Wattpad stuff, but we're, we're working What's on Wattpad? it. Wattpad is like erotica, Ooh, like cool. written erotica. Yeah. And I'm telling you, yeah. you ever feel like this therapy gig isn't making you enough money? <sighs> I'll be your agent. Listen, sign me up. Let's see if I can't get some, you know, some side gigs rolling. <laughs> Don't fuck around because you will find out. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And you, I know it's probably some sort of bullshit fantasy crap you have going too, right? Like it's, he unsheathed his sword. Oh, God. But that's not all he unsheathed. Yeah. It is. I just it? left my husband for that five second clip. <laughs> it's some D and D porn, is what it is. Here's what I'm going to tell you: There's all different kinds, but there is absolutely fantasy porn out there, and it is Chef's Kiss good. Really? So, Gordon Ramsay. I'm telling you. All right. Well, I'm telling you what. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I walked right into it. I really, that's what we'll call our, we'll call that our production company. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm so sorry, right. Ashley. <laughs> All right. I'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. bye.